Welcome to Art of the Frame. My name is Matt Jepson. I'm a DP based in Sydney. Today we're talking to Mike Gomes and John Connor. Mike is a DP based in New York City, and John is an editor based in Philadelphia. Um, we're talking today about New Worlds, The Cradle of Civilization, which is a documentary film starring Bill Murray that they um, both worked on. Before we get into the film, let's talk a little bit about what your background is and what you do. Cool. I'll go first. Uh, this is Mike Gomes, uh, DP. I'm based uh, in New York, uh, in the U.S., and uh, I shoot narrative. I shoot docs. I've uh, been doing this for probably eight years now, and um, and yeah, I had the great opportunity of shooting uh, New Worlds along with uh, the director Andrew Moscato, and uh, alongside my longtime friend John Connor. Um, and uh, a very unique experience that I uh, look forward to diving into. It's uh, very unique. And I am John Connor. I'm an editor, mainly working these days in uh, narrative and documentary features. Uh, I've been doing it for about 20 years now. So I'm a bit of a grizzled veteran, I suppose, at this point. And I'm hailing from the fine city of Philadelphia. Welcome, welcome, guys. Um, Thank you. I guess first off, um, the the project is really unique, and we were. It's interesting. We were talking about how to how to introduce it, and it, it's not the type of thing that easily fits into an elevator pitch. This film originally came from the fact that the New Worlds team meaning the musicians and Bill were on tour and uh, they had been touring all over the world uh, performing and the Athens show was going to be the last stop. So uh, one of uh, a mutual friend of Bill's and Andrew, who's the director, um, uh, a mutual friend, Karen told or suggested to Andrew and Bill, Hey, why don't we, shoot the show. I mean, it's going to be in Athens. It's going to be at a, an incredibly iconic and legendary venue. We should just like shoot it. You know, it just kind of popped up as an idea as like, Hey, this might be worth doing. And, uh, and that kind of just turned into a whole thing. Um, now when I say this was a unique project, I do kind of want to like define what that is because I feel like the word like unique or like cinematic uh, cinematic is kind of thrown around a lot without like defining what it is um one of those ways is like it's a doc but it was shot in three days now normally docs are done over a very long period of time and you know this happened incredibly fast from when i first got the call to when i was on a flight back home after wrapping was all within like two weeks which wow. was wild <laughs> you know like i it was it happened incredibly incredibly fast uh now the post process is a whole it, it definitely not that quick obviously john can we'll get to that um but i feel like part of what made it unique uh, aside from it being shot in greece and at a beautiful venue was how fast it came together and it was straight up like hit the ground running and there's no rehearsal at all like the live show was just shot like that 
Uh, the director did not have eyes on all the camera angles. Like we didn't have wireless, uh, you know, unfortunately that just wasn't an option. So it was super gorilla considering, you know, normally live shows are shot with like a massive production. You know, you watch, you know, stuff on Netflix or whatever, it's covered with multiple cameras and there's some sort of command center where someone's on a switcher board. We didn't have any of that. Um, so I feel like those are some of the elements that make the project unique from a production side, not from like a, what is actually happening in the show, which is like a whole other type of uh, magic. Uh, this was sort of like a happy accident that just kind of like became bigger and bigger. And I mean, I'm sure we'll get to it, but like it getting into Cannes Film Festival was wild. Like that's, you know, I, we just wanted to get this thing done. Uh, yeah. We didn't, you know, we didn't even know like when it was going to be done or what was going to happen. And Bill was incredibly involved in the edit, which John could definitely talk about, but like a lot more than people think. And um, yeah, I mean, this was really, really guerrilla uh, in terms of how we shot it, um, which was a, is a surprise when you sort of see the final result. You know, I feel like for an observer, you would think it's not that approach, but it, it really was. So it was pretty guerrilla. Well, tell me about the, the size of the production. Like what... Um... How many camera ops and, and how did you handle all that with with so little time to prep? Yeah. So the priority here was like, okay, well, we need to cover this properly. Uh, what does that mean? All right. Well, there's various people on the stage. We need to make sure that each one of them is covered from a just angles, like just obviously we need more than one camera. So we ultimately ended up with, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. We, we ended up with, I believe it was seven cameras. One, yeah. two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, so seven cameras. The seventh being like a random GoPro on the stage. The mm. other six, uh, five were in the audience shooting towards talent. Each one was assigned a different musician, uh, and each camera was assigned a letter and a focal length. And then the sixth camera would be the rogue handheld one, which was me. Um, so my, my approach in terms of get crewing up was like, how many cameras can we get in this amount of time? And I literally sourced all the ingenue lenses I could for each camera. And I ended up getting Canon C300 Mark IIs because honestly, that was all that was available to have that amount. So mm. it was kind of like, how much, how many can we get? What's available? And it was Canon C300 Mark IIs, which I think at the time there was like an update that allowed you to add like minus one noise reduction or something, which I was like, yeah, that's great. Um, and I sourced every single ingenue zoom lens I could find in Athens, except for one camera, uh, which I won't say which camera it was, but there was just one camera that had a different uh, zoom lens on it, which was a, uh, it was a, a, a like a, a Fuji, a Fuji zoom. I just needed the length. It was a 45 to 250 uh, Fuji zoom. Um, and the crew was all local, local camera guys, uh, all Greek guys um, who were all fantastic. I mean, the only people that came in from from the outside was, was Andrew, the director and I, and hmm. we just hit the ground running. And I, I pretty much put a plan together, a diagram of where they would be in the venue with like an overhead with, uh, you know, what lens goes on which camera. And I pretty much prepped as much as I could with the cameras I knew we were going to have and, and just getting positions 
and I gave them some references in terms of, uh, you know, what kind of frames we wanted. Uh, a big influence for us was um, was the Scorsese film. Uh, uh, I'm, the, the one with the stones. Uh, I'm blanking on the name now. Um, it, it was a concert film also. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I know yeah, what you're talking about. I've seen yeah, that film. Yeah, and then, and then Yeah, and then another one, uh, Stop Making Sense, which both of those films none of them focus on the audience uh it's just really all performance and to be honest like we didn't have the luxury of dedicating a camera to the audience because we wanted to make sure that we captured the show and the musicians and what was happening on stage so um what's interesting about the show is that you've got three world-class musicians and they all at different points um sort of take the center stage and then woven throughout, you almost have this host with Bill Murray. Um, you know, it's, it, host is maybe not the right term, but so you end up with almost sort of four leads that have to be um, featured at various times. Um, it, it's super unique. The, uh, the other thing that struck me about it was the, the content of the show itself is uh, it's so simple and straightforward and there's, there's no pretense there's no artifice about it like i'm just gonna stand there and i'm gonna read from read from this thing and then i might go sit down behind the piano and then the the penis is just like killing it right and then you know bill wanders around and he fiddles with his jacket it's there's no polish to it (laughs) it's it's just like no you came here for content and i'm gonna give you that you you know what that's that brings up a funny thing that happened uh with me on the post side of it um because i was i was in the edit with the director for quite a while before um bill came into it you know we wanted to get it very polished and and ready for him to come in and and do his thing and um i i i think in my own head like I got in my own head too much and was like, this has to be perfect. You know, <laughs> when Bill comes in, I want him to see how there's no camera. Like if the camera moves a little bit or shakes, it's not making the cut. This, this thing is going to be so good. And um, which I appreciate very much from an editor. Thank you. But yeah, yeah. it didn't happen that way, which John will explain. <laughs> yeah. So. So the first day um, Bill walks into the room and uh first of all i'm I'm not the type of person that um gets like starstruck or anything like that right it's you know and especially in a situation like that you're professional there to do a job there's no time for being a fanboy but when he first walked in the door because it's bill murray it was like three different worlds colliding it was Hmm. like the bill murray from that I'd seen on the screen, um, the legend of of Bill Murray, and then the actual person that was standing there, you, you know, in front of me. And so I sort of needed a second to calibrate all three of those things coming together. Um, and then, you know, whatever that all happens in in like a split second, and then it's it's time to go to work. And um, so I'm showing him the cut and it's like super polished and whatever. And we're going through and he's like, um, 
So he, he just starts, he's, we're going through it and he's calling out, I have the multi-cam up and he's calling out different numbers, you know, we start to get into a rhythm. He's like, how about three? What if we go to four here, you know, or let me see what's going on on five. I'm like, well, I don't know if we want to go to five right now, you know, uh, they're adjusting. And he was, he said something to the effect of who gives a shit? This is Woodstock, man. <laughs> and, um, with just, with just him saying that, like all of a sudden, like, I felt like a tenseness, like come out of my shoulders. And I was like, okay, yeah, this is, this is like a live thing. Like, and, and we just started me, him and, um, the director, Andrew, it just was like, uh, there, there became, he, he brought a lot to the table. There was like a, if it's not, if, if the camera isn't like perfect or whatever, like, we're not going to let that stop us from getting to either the right angle or whatever. And there's, mm. there's very much a, um, musicality, um, to the edit, um, that he brought into it. So that, but that was, that was an interesting experience just being in there. And it's almost like Bill is, it was like a master class in, in timing, you know, mm. timing and, and, um, choosing the emotion of a shot over, um, you know, which shot is the most perfect. Do you feel like that's a lesson that is going to stick with you? Like, is that something, is that a, a shift in your thinking as an editor in general? Yeah, because I, th I think I had gotten myself to a point where I didn't even realize it, that I had become, um, you know, there's, there's points in time. Definitely. I think one thing that I'm good at doing when I edit is using, parts of a shot where the uh, cinematographer definitely, you know, whatever, it might be a, like a mistake or whatever. It's like a happy accident, but I can find like the right part of those clips where it's a little funky or whatever and get that into the, the edit in the right spot. But I definitely felt like after I saw what we were able to do and how loosening up a little bit um, made such a huge difference, um, a feature doc that I'm working on now, um, I've, I've gotten really loose in, in some parts of it and it's turned out some pretty incredible results. Hmm. Interesting. Um, why, why is it, is it, it wouldn't be typical of someone like Bill Murray to be involved in the edit on a project like this? Would it, I mean, I guess he's perhaps a executive producer of some kind. Yeah. I mean, he was. I mean, he, he was essentially uh post, like post supervisor mm. really. Um, but even more than, no, nah, it was even more than that. I think, yeah, I mean, he's invested in the project. I mean, he, he helped get this past the finish line. I mean, he's mm. invested creatively personally. I mean, this, this is a massive deal. I mean, he is a producer on the film a hundred percent, you know, this wouldn't have gotten done if it wasn't for him pushing to get it, through the finish line. I mean, he was in the edit all the way. I mean, frame by frame, you know, um, which, you know, just to sort of touch back on that sort of getting away from perfection uh, approach. I mean, I want, I want to give the editor as much, as much usable moments as I can. Uh, I was the only handheld camera. So, you know, sometimes I'm like resetting, I want to start a move and I know, okay, he'll use that bit. So, you know, when John told me like, oh, 
they're you know we're using all of the sort of like happy accidents that you did i'm like oh no oh my goodness <laughs> you know like my brain is like okay this is not great people are gonna watch us they're gonna be like dude who is operating like this is bit, like it's slightly out of focus like what is this like that's exactly what i do not want people to see however bill obviously completely changed that and makes it less formal which i you know i i appreciate that you know it is humbling i'm not going to say that it doesn't make me want to make sure that my operating isn't even better so they're you know it's always quote unquote perfect but um you know i think that that it, there's a lot of intention um that came directly from bill and john and andrew in terms of how it was designed so whatever happy accidents there were really just happened live i mean that's part of what makes the show unique too is that it, it was live like we didn't we didn't get a like a rehearsal run uh of the show it was mm -hmm. kind of like all the operators were just like hey this is who you should be focusing on and you know andrew was on walkie and just telling okay b you know jan's coming up or c you know bill's gonna get up now so they did each have a direction just to increase our chances of like making sure that john would have what he needed to mm -hmm. just cut cut this properly you know yeah and there was there was certainly a version of this film that was technically like per perfect you know yeah um yeah. but but the interesting thing was what he was able to do and and bring to the table was um helping to capture the actual feeling of being there live and um, to answer a question about why he was as involved as he was, I think it really um, across the board um, was such a collaborative project. Like I know that um, if I'm not mistaken, I wasn't there, but all of the um, musicians were like went into sound mix, um, yeah. you know, right. and um, Bill was there. um and in the post house too with the color timing right mike yeah yeah so me and bill were we had a color session for two days which was awesome um i mean this was maybe like a month or two before we went to 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 con and we spent two days there and you know i think for bill this is also a completely different type of art form that he's he's exploring with other collaborators and even music in general and i i i I've been realizing how I think freeing it is to be a musician versus a filmmaker, because as a musician, you can play an instrument and get instant feedback. You know, you can like create instantly, whether it's on the piano or drums or a violin or a cello, you're, you're hearing it with film. It's not as instantaneous because you need all these other moving parts. So mm -hmm. I feel like for Bill, there's a bit of a, there's a direct collaboration with the musicians, but you know, he's singing like it's, it's a lot more, I just feel like it's been a new endeavor for him to be exploring, which I, I can, I can imagine is liberating for him in a way at this point in his life. Um, at one, at one point in time when we were editing, um, we were like into it. We have been going pretty intense for like quite, quite a few hours at this point. And, um, you know, they're, I, I mean, they're like, oh, we got to soften up this cut and, you know, whatever. And we're going two and three. What if we jump over to this one and that? And we're just like jamming. And um, at one point in time, Bill just turns to me. He's like, hey, John, 
was like, yeah. He's like, you having fun? I was like, yeah. He's like, me too. And uh, he was just like really enjoying himself. And uh, I, you know, again, like I don't, I don't typically get nervous and I've been doing it long enough where I can be under fire and I'm, I'm pretty cool as a cucumber. But uh, in this particular case, it's like, I mean, it's Bill Murray. Like, there's no way around that. And uh, <laughs> yeah. so just the, just the whole way he, he like, handled it and just seeing him, like, he looked like he was having so much fun. And it was just, I don't know, it was, like, contagious. Made mm. me have more fun, you know? Yeah. It's there's interesting. A, I was watching the, the, watching the movie, and I went in thinking that it was going to be a Bill Murray driven piece and and certainly he features but about halfway through my thinking shifted a little bit i realized oh my gosh these musicians are world class and bill is just loving being in the room with them um and, and he he never really overshadowed them you know what i mean it was very very collaborative like everyone was just kind of like all doing their little part it was really really beautifully done they each have their time to shine. You know, everyone gets the same spotlight and they then also come together. You know, you can't have one without the other, which I mm. think is a really good balance, you know, and I think it's something that will surprise people too. This isn't just all about Bill. I mean, if, if anything, it's it's more about the music than it is yeah. about the musicians and Bill. I mean, it's it's how it all works together as like a, a, a soup of art, I guess, you know? Yeah, so, I think if... I think if you had somebody, I, I think if it was anybody else or you had somebody that was in that edit suite um, that where it was like ego or anything like that, I think it would have been a disaster. Um, hmm. But he was very, very mindful of, uh, you know, he, I, I can't remember exactly how he'd say, it, but he would be like, all right, we got to We got to get away from. Uh, we got to get away from this guy. Like if I was holding on him too long, he's like, this is Jan's part or this is Vanessa's part. We got to get in over there, you know? Um, so yeah, he, yeah. he knew, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. He, he's, <laughs> he's a great bridge. He's a great bridge for anyone that would probably never give, you know, any of this a chance, uh, but see that Bill is in it. I feel mm-hmm. like he is a great bridge into bringing a different type of audience that wouldn't mm-hmm. typically sit down and watch a performance like this. He helps bring them over with his charm. Um, and I think that's really important because he kind of like bring, it, it's like he brings you to the party, but then lets you loose to like explore and like work your way around the room. Um, there's a point in the film, which I, is my favorite moment aside from the music that's played where he addresses the audience. I think it's about like the 15 minute mark and he addresses the audience and he says something along the lines of like, okay, you're probably wondering like what the heck this is and what did I get myself into? And is it too late to leave? But, <laughs> but then, but then he goes and says, I promise you the worst is over. Just, just, just hang with us, you know? And I love that part because I feel like that is, is such a great icebreaker uh, to the film where, you know, you kind of like feel your shoulders drop and it's like, all right, you know what? I'll commit. I'll commit because it's Bill, you know? Um, and uh, and I, I really love that 
that John Nandrew and Bill like decided to keep that in there because I feel like for the audience that wouldn't typically give this a chance, that is exactly what they need to hear. Right at the point where they're like, um, is this whole film like this? I thought it was a doc, you know? Yeah. So I, it's my favorite part of the film for sure. Yeah. There's a perception that, um, that type of music and sort of spoken poetry and literature delivered in that way is stodgy and stuffy. Yeah. And yeah. Um, it's interesting because there's a there's a few minutes of that at the beginning that is a little bit stodgy and stuffy at times. And, and I felt my shoulders, it's really beautifully described. I felt myself tighten up and then he just kind of released that tension. And then yeah. the rest of it, I was like, oh, okay, so... I can just enjoy this for what it is. I don't have to put my own perceptions on it. I can just enjoy what's happening right now. And what's interesting is the back half of the film, not the back half, the back three quarters, it's a little bit more random. Like there's there's the dynamic range of the performances and what happens, the humor and the 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 um, um, sincerity feels like it's it's got more range in it on the back three quarters of the film. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, when you see like Jan and Mira and Vanessa like battling it out with their instruments, like <laughs> you would never see that in like a traditional classical music performance, or or rarely, I should say. So mm. when that happens, it's kind of like the tension is being released as you go, you know, and they're kind of bringing you on like this emotional journey. Now, look, I I've seen it a bunch, and John's seen it even more than I have. Um, and you know for me personally this has been like of it's a very emotional journey for me because it's like it's you know the experience of shooting it and just going through this whole project and stuff like that but like if you really give it a chance and you just like sit back and accept it and just let it take you you know it's you know it is a very personal story uh even for bill himself you know behind like why they chose some of those tracks and and mm. uh and, and why they included it in the film, there is an arc there uh, if you pay attention to it. Um, so, hence why I feel like it, it is a unique, uh, a unique project for sure. I want to ask a couple questions on post here in a second, but just quickly before that, um, how do you, Mike? How do you dive into a live performance that you've never seen before and film it? How do you prepare for that? knowing that you have one take, you know what I mean? Like it's a single yeah. performance. It's the last one. Yeah. Right. Well, I think that, uh, well, first of all, it's like, okay, what, what, what do we need at a minimum? And in a way it was selfishly like how many cameras can I get my hand on, uh, or mm. my hands on so we can protect ourselves for the edit. Because, uh, you know, if it's two angles, like you're going to drive people nuts, just going back and forth. Um, so at first it was pretty much just trying to get, as many perspectives within reason as possible but it was also like okay what are our limitations aside from budget you know like mm -hmm. what rules are we establishing and one of them was like okay we're not going to really show the audience you know we, we'll show the venue but let's not focus on the audience which again wasn't exactly a luxury we had of having enough cameras to lend towards something additional that isn't the performance the other was let's not make this uh distracting with a bunch of like 
dollies and cranes, any of that. Like, we, you know, mm. if we really wanted one, we probably could have figured something out where, you know, we, mm. budget wise, we'd make it work. But we knew that that was one of our parameters, which I, I do feel like is really important to have regardless of the project is, you know, like you can be in a medical meta metaphysical world where you're just making up all these things. But at some point you do need to figure out how you're going to keep yourself sane by figuring out what your parameters are. So for Andrew and I, it was like, okay, our parameters are, we're not really showing off the audience. We're not getting too showy with camera moves like dollies and cranes. Uh, you know, the one that's the most dynamic is the handheld one, which I was very happy to do, you know, selfishly, that is my comfort zone. And I feel like I can get a lot more variety and a little more, you know, I could just move around freely because if I was stuck on the tripod the whole time without seeing the other cameras, I'd probably go nuts. But, um, that's how we prepped. You know, I, I didn't know how much more I could do other than being there on the ground and trying to be like, okay, well, what's the longest lens we can get? Uh, you know, and, and it is a very strict, venue to shoot in um hmm. they, they very 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 strict so it was like yeah i have a story i could tell later about a shot i got that nearly got me banned from the venue but of course everyone is happy now because the film got you know it's done and all that stuff so yeah <laughs> but that's how i that's how i pretty much prepped the the project and every operator knew what they were walking into before they showed up so everyone knew what camera what lens what position in the venue and then references just so they had something in their head. And that was me assuming they even knew English, which thankfully they did, but hmm. you know, it was in another country. I didn't know anyone really that was going to be there. I, I kind of, I, if you had told me that you spoke Greek, I'd been like, yeah, I, that, that doesn't surprise me about my, <laughs> I'm working on it, you know, one word at a time, you know, <laughs> They actually did think I was Greek. They were like, wait, are you from here? I'm like, no, no, I'm not from here. But, you know, you've got my the skin. My Portuguese, yeah, my Portuguese genes helped me blend in, thankfully. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Shifting gears a little bit on, on post. John, how did you first get involved in the project? What was your introduction? Yeah. So <clears throat> Mike made an introduction between me and the director, um, Andrew Moscato. Um, yeah, it must have been, I don't maybe five, probably about, let's just call it five, five years ago now. Um, and I worked on a couple things with Andrew and then we worked, um, together on two, uh, other feature documentaries, um, that he directed prior to this and, so did did I, Andrew direct the Blagojevich doctor, documentary? Um, I don't think so. He did Mooch, uh, the one about Anthony Scaramucci, who was sorry, in the that's, White that's House. Sorry, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, uh, yeah, Scaramucci. yeah, Mooch. Yeah, that yeah. came out 2018, and we shot it maybe 20 between 2016, 2017, and uh, and John cut that as well. Yeah, and then okay. uh, Muhammad. I, for the first thing I worked on uh, with him was a Muhammad Ali documentary. Um, and uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, we got along really well. And so when he had his next documentary come up, he brought me back on board, which I was very thankful for. And then after that, um, you know, I was his go-to editor. Hmm. Um, we had formed a professional and, and, a, and a personal relationship, you know. Um, we ended up spending, 
you spend a lot of time uh, as an editor with your director, so it tends to work out a little bit better if you can uh, if you get along. And um, so, yeah, I've been very grateful to, to have worked with him over the years. And so, uh, when he approached me about working on a project with him, I was like, I'm, you know, without without knowing anything about it, um, really, I was just like, yeah, man, let's do it. Um, it's a it's wild interesting. ride from there. You talk about, you know, you're in the room with the director a lot when you're editing. It's very similar to the DP director relationship. You know, you're, you're stuck in pre-production, you're stuck in production with these people. And ultimately, the show kind of rides on you doing the thing. Like if something's not working on the day, you have to figure it out. And those two are primarily the people that sit down and do it. And so, so it's interesting how I've always been fascinated by how because i'm a dp that's my background I'm more on the commercial side than the narrative but i've certainly done enough doc but the the combination of skills that you need as a dp that are emotional intelligence um the way that you work with people the way that you accept and give feedback and and how constructive that is and just if you're a nice person to travel with if you're nice to sit in the room with for a while um, it strikes me that that's pretty similar to the director editor relationship as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, <clears throat> I would say every every project um, that we've worked on together, you know, there are moments where you basically you're working hard. You know, you're you're working very hard, and. Um, I don't think we've we've worked on anything together where at some point in time we haven't laughed so hard like tears are coming out of your you know <laughs> and so I think that's the only I mean it's the only way to to work on something like a feature where you're investing so much of your time um energy all that kind of stuff um and still have it be like a pleasant experience like if you're not able to uh, trust the other person enough and, and work, you know, you're working super hard, but like at the end of the day, if you can't like laugh, like for me personally, anyway, I don't, I don't really want any parts of that. And so with him, um, he did a very, uh, he's like very awesome at, um, let me do my thing and trusting me hmm. and then reeling things in. And when, you know, it's time to be serious or whatever, or give, give really good um direction like being super like laser focused where you know he might he might start talking about something and i'm like i don't know you know i don't know where he's going with this but i'm gonna try like i'm just doing it like not yeah. questioning it i'm 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 in yeah that level of trust um you, you give each other room to fail yeah so when you when you start on a project like this you know, hard drives arrive. What's the first thing that you do? How do you how do you get into something like this? How, what's your process? Yeah, so um, you know, each each project's a little bit different. Um, with this one, um, there was some references. He had an idea of how he wanted to open the film. Um, it was a little bit of a nod to. Uh, this that Scorsese um, mm-hmm. doc that uh, 
Mike had mentioned earlier, the last waltz. Correct. Um, yep. There you go. Yeah. And so, you know, I get the hard drive and normally uh, me and Andrew will have some sort of a, a conversation prior. He'll give me some time to like get into the footage. I started looking, looking around, seeing what we have. Um, in this case, you know, it's seven cameras. So, you know, first thing I'm doing is making proxies, uh, multi-cam syncing everything, um, you know, doing all that, laying all the technical groundwork before I can get into it. And then Mike had um, uh, spent some time uh, going around um, in Greece and filming some of the rehearsal. And so some mm -hmm. of the more <clears throat> artistic uh, parts of the edit uh, we got into later. Um, but essentially it was, you, you know, in this case, um, it's not like other documentaries that I'm working on sometimes where it's like you're trying to find the story as you're going along. We knew, we knew where it was beginning, where it was ending as far as the concert went. Right. And so, yeah, it was just sort of a matter of me going through and, and doing a uh, quick, rough um, assembly. Um, and then from there, we just spent time in the uh, in the room together, just going through and keep refining it, and refining it. Um, do you do you watch the first time in multicam or do you just pick an angle and watch it? So when I'm doing multi multicam stuff, um, yeah, I just get I just get in there. Um, I want to see what we're what we're dealing with. Um, and I mean, part part of this, I'm pretty I can. I can have a lot of stuff going on and and uh, still take take things in like part of this um, when COVID hit, we had to go remote with everything. And there was points in time where Andrew would be somewhere. I'd be in my basement, uh, in my in my edit suite in Philly. They had a drive in New York, um, in a in a post production house, hooked up to a server, and then Bill would be, you know, anywhere that he happened to be at in the world or the country at that time, and so. You know, I don't know. It, it's like I have I have one headphone, <laughs> I have one headphone uh, on listening to the actual concert. I got the other one off so that I can hear um, two different people sometimes at the same time tell me which camera to go to, and uh, <laughs> and it it was uh, it got a little chaotic. But you start to. Um, you start to just be able to sort of, I don't know. I don't even know how to explain it really. Um, you just get very like locked in. And so it's like there, you, you have all this stuff flying at you, but at the same time, you're looking at all these different camera angles and processing them. And I think it's just from um, do, doing this for so long, you know, like I said, like I've been doing it for 20, 20 something years now. And so, 
you know, if this would have been like at the very beginning of my career, I probably would have just had a panic attack and just shut my computer down, you know? Yeah. But, um, um, you just sort of start to get a feel for it. So yeah, I go, if it's multicam, uh, you know, there's some people that, uh, editors that say like, you have to go through all the footage and watch every frame twice. Um, not me. I'm not, I'm not of that school of thought. Um, I you just want to dive like in to, and start and start cutting. Well, it's sort of. I mean, it depends on the right. So it sort of depends on the on the project. Um, in this particular one, yeah, because at least as far as the the concert goes, like I want to get to, and even even with other stuff, I want to get the worst version of the film out of my system as fast as possible, um, and get it get it to a point where I can have somebody else and, and feel like they're not wasting their time by giving me input. So I don't like to really, you know, dilly dally around or whatever. Um, I just, yeah, I dive in and start ripping obviously on, on other things. And when I started getting into the other footage that, uh, Mike had shot, that's a completely different process where I got to go through, um, start organizing the footage, marking it up, um getting the the best shots and and um you know select reels and all that kind of stuff done yeah it's interesting that's a the worst version of the film getting that out the the realization that that is going to happen and that's part of the process is actually really mature um every time i do a project i'm struck by you go in with these expectations. Like, for instance, we just shot a, a TVC and, uh, for the company that I work for and went in with all this planning, executed on the day, did a great job, nailed the, nailed the schedule, came in like 30K under budget. Like, we're just killing it, right? First yeah. cut comes in. I want to throw myself off a cliff. You know what I mean? <laughs> and previously, you know, if, they, if it was the first TVC that I shot or probably even the 20th TVC that I shot... I wouldn't have realized that that's part of the process and that you have to, okay, here's where we are. What's not working sort of, um, uh, non-emotionally problem solve and then find the solutions that little by little push it towards better. And then when it's all said and done, you're actually generally pretty happy with it. But, but that, I don't think I've done a single project where, that first or second or even third cut came back and I was just like, I want to kill myself. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, uh, that, that's one of the things I think, um, that made me make a, a very big jump as far as speed as an editor was that what I used to do, <clears throat> I think it's, you know, fear and probably, uh, coming out of some insecurity where I would spend so much time trying to get the thing perfect. And all of that time ended up being wasted because, um, I mean, the majority of the time, you know, you show somebody something like the first version of it, they're not going to, or you might just be headed in the completely wrong direction and not what they were thinking or whatever. So I like to try to get the work, what I call, and I'll tell them, um, you know, look, this is the, this is the floor, mm. you know, 
This is the, this is the floor. We have nowhere to go now, but like oh, this is this <laughs> we is found the, the bottom. <laughs> yeah, this is this is the worst version of the film, not of the film that could be edited, but that you and I could make together. You know, this is this is the actual. Now, now, if you're happy with the general, um, you know, if it's like the the narrative or the arc of it or whatever, right, or it yeah. sort of feels right. The structure. Well, then, yeah, then now let's. Let's start going through and really like nailing it down. But if you're not even, if you're not even headed in the in the right direction, and and you've wasted all this time, um, the quicker you can get, um, just get the whole thing out and, and and sort of that first version out, then you get more time on the on the back end to to finesse. Mike, I'm curious if you feel this sort of tension because uh, I know that you're. I don't know if perfectionist is the right term, but I know that you care about things being right. And so mm-hmm. I'm curious how, um, because John and I, I think are maybe a little bit older and potentially have been doing this a little bit longer. Um, and so I'm curious, like if that's a realization that you've had, if that's something that you're going through, like how do you handle when projects just suck? Like in like projects in general when they suck or yeah. Uh, well, I do my best to like, not let them suck. Um, you know, I, I realize that especially if I'm running a crew, there is massive amount of trickle down effect. So I do my best to not let my emotions get in the way when Mm. it's not called for. So creatively speaking, sometimes that's when my emotions shine because it's related to what I'm trying to do creatively. But from a managing point of view, I try not to let that interfere because I know that it's contagious, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of a, I have a hard time like hiding my emotions. Like you could kind of tell if I'm in like a good mood or a bad mood. So I'm, I've become like hyper aware of just trying to put the game face on and obviously be cool and be respectful, which is something super important to me is just like being generally respectful, even if, I disagree with someone's view on something, uh, but it's just trying to do my best at managing, regardless of how sucky it is. Because at the end of the day, we're still like making a thing. We're not like doing construction or surgery. You know, like this is still a very we're very very fortunate to be doing this. So I mm-hmm. always try to keep that in the back of my mind, uh, especially when I'm like shooting in another country, which already is another layer of just how lucky I am to be able to, to do that. And, you know, when it comes to projects with Andrew, I mean, most of the projects Andrew and I have done have been abroad. You know, we've been to Cuba Mm. together. We've been to Tokyo together. We've been to Africa together, went to Uganda and then obviously Greece. And then like the only project I think we did in the States was the Scaramucci doc, but everything else was abroad. So we already have, experience traveling together which i feel like was already part of maybe his comfort zone on calling me over to to greece to to shoot in Mm. athens um and he also knew that i don't freak out around people that you know are working at a higher level somebody like bill so you know when i first met bill i didn't say hey bill i said nice to meet you mr murray i still say mr murray you know he's still an older man so i you know i tried to be respectful whether it's mr murray or 
the PA, you know, just like, don't be a dick, try to have a good time. Um, and just, uh, keep things in perspective when it comes to this kind of work. Like, obviously it's hard, but you know, like that's what I signed up for. So, uh, you know, just suck it up and just get it done and just try to try to have a good time. And, you know, going back to what John said, it's like, you know, if you can't laugh about it, uh, you know, and just try to be cool, then it's like, well, what's, what's the point, you know? Matt, you, have you seen the, uh, you, you know, the meme where it's like the dog, uh, sitting at the table, everything's on fire. <laughs> And he's like, this This is fine. He's got like a coffee cup. It's like a cartoon dog. And he's like, everything's burning. He's like, this is fine. Yep. Yeah, I think, like, as an editor, I think, like, um, one of, I think one of the best gifts you can have is, is to be like that. Like, um, not on this project, but on, um, I was on this other one. And uh, I quick... Uh, and I was I was committed to it for a while, and um, I just realized like, oh man, am, am I allowed to curse or no? Fuck yeah! <laughs> I think it's a little late for that. <laughs> okay, I I just uh, I realized that this thing was like going to be a shit show, right? And um, you know what? Like sometimes when you're in that, like the best thing you can do is just like embrace it and just like I kind of sometimes now. It's not sustainable for like a career or anything, but like sometimes when you're you're in the middle of like a hell gig, it's if you look at it the right way, it's actually like very funny and mm. it can it can be enjoyable. Um, like I was on I was on this thing and I was on set and um, it's, it's, so the whole this, this whole production is is going to shit. And so I'm outside and, and somebody from the art department walks up and ask me if I have a lighter and I hand it to her and it's got the number seven on it. And she goes, uh, Oh, seven, is that your lucky number? And I don't know why, but I just said, apparently not. Um, <laughs> and, uh, we just laughed. Like we both just started, you know, it's just like, you're delirious. Like it's like a 16 hour day. And that just came out of my mouth and we just laughed so hard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, 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 the doc stuff, like, I I kind of love that, first of all, you barely control anything in in docs. And I know you know that, Matt. Like, it just you, there's just only so much you can control. Most of the time, you barely control anything. And I yeah. like, I sort of have to flip a switch when I do docs. It's like, I'll control what I can, but I don't, I don't worry about the things that I cannot control, you know? And that's a very obvious statement, but... It just kind of frees you up to just like, all right, well, I can only control these many elements, so that's mm -hmm. what I'm going to focus on. The rest is just, the rest will either give me happy accidents that's just going to make it look like my cinematography is like this whole thing, or it's just going to be like horrible, and then they're going to cut it out or keep it in, you know? So I feel like that's kind of liberating when it comes to the doc stuff, because like you can't really control much. Mm -hmm. Um and, you know, when it comes to, you know, doing jobs that are shit shows, um, you know, I, I kind of like some elements of chaos, but I like mm. when things are just not in the middle of all the chaos. There's you still have to be super focused on just getting the next setup done or the next shot done. And I, I kind of like being in the middle of that heat 
Um, I don't know what it is. Uh, I don't know. It's like if it's an inner masochism or, you know, but um, you, you I, I don't need... know. It's a good pressure. You know, it's really it really makes you better. It really does. I know it's like really corny, like, oh, get outside of your comfort zone. But like that is that is what's going to make you better. And it will also reveal parts of you personally that's going to test you. And I think it's really important to get to that as long as, hmm. you know, you don't like lose your shit and like, you know, be completely unprofessional. So the key is get outside of your comfort zone, but just try to do your best to stay professional. You know, that's my sort of method, I guess, or principles I try to stick to. Hmm. I, I knew that um, previous to this conversation, I knew that DPs were in a strange position where it's that nexus of emotion and creativity and sort of these ethereal things that we call art. And then the logistics and the timing and the technical proficiency mixed with the emotional intelligence and the ability to lead lead confidently and lead forcefully at times, but also to um, take input from people in your department below you, but then also dealing with people above you as well. It's such a weird position and you, you really are kind of that nexus. I'd never made the connection until just now that that's very similar to how it is for an editor as well. You have this this strange technical proficiency, but you also have to meld that with feeling and, and riding the wave of what that content is and then you know sussing out what that could be in, in different formats while you're also dealing with input and direction from editors, producers, you know everyone else who's watching. Very, very interesting that I'd never connected those two before. I also sort of didn't, I didn't really make that connection either, but yeah, they're, they're, they are very similar in that way. You got so much so much going on yeah no I'm, the only I'm, thing I, I i feel bad for editors because you know when you're cutting you can't really escape to anywhere other than the bathroom whereas the db could just be like hey let me go like check with the gaffer like make sure we're all good okay cool you know so we can <laughs> kind of find a couple pockets to like go and like you know get our thoughts together versus being in like the command center chair like john and just like um there's nowhere to turn other than the bathroom you know so uh yeah that's <laughs> That, well, that's part of the reason in my, in my edit suite, um, like if I go into an agency or whatever, I'm in a post house, I don't know why they always have them set up where the editor is in the front of the room with their back to everybody hmm. and you have and you have your two screens and then there's like a bigger screen like up top. And so it's like everybody's looking at um, they're looking at your timeline, you know, uh, Yeah, that's dude. weird. I don't, yeah, I don't like that at all. Yeah, so like literally people hovering over your back. That's very mm. strange. Touching your yeah. screen. Yeah, it's that's like the worst. That's the worst way to do it. So in in mine, the way I have it is, I'm I'm even with where my theater seating is at, so that when I turn sideways, all I have to do is turn to like my right, and I can have a conversation with the director, the client, you know, whoever, and. Um, they can't see anything on my screen, my timeline, Second. like any, like, I don't want them, you know, sometimes things are out of your control and I, I don't want them to see me like, Hey John, can you pull up the shot? And I'm like fumbling around like a <laughs> bunch of poorly organized folder structure. Uh, 
that doesn't inspire confidence. So, you know, sometimes you got to, it's about putting yourself uh, the right angle. Yeah. You guys Question, know about that. So, yeah, something exactly. earlier, something yeah, earlier you said, John, you, you alluded to this, and I'm not sure if maybe I misunderstood. Did, did you have a remote edit set up where they were watch, people were watching remotely in sync with your timeline? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was crazy. It, and like, also like I didn't have the heart, like I didn't have the hard drive on me. So I was in Philly logging into a computer in New York. And then the director, uh, Andrew sometimes would be, sometimes he w- he was in the room with, with Bill, but sometimes Bill would be like in LA and Andrew could be like any, I don't know, anywhere, you know? Um, and so both of them would be logging into the system, watching uh, while I was editing and then giving me instruction at the same time. What, what system are you using? Is it Parsec or what? How are you um, remotely I be- connecting? I believe, yeah, I believe it was a uh, Parsec. Um, let me think about that. So it was like right when people were still trying to figure out uh, mm-hmm. post houses were like kind of scrambling there a little bit. Um, yeah, I think at one point in time there was something else we were going to try. It didn't work. I do think that's right. I think it was Parsec because I remember I think I had to log into a Windows computer and I remember that threw me off. Yeah. yeah because yeah. all my all, all of a sudden all the shortcuts were Yeah, that was that was I mean, <laughs> that was something else. It was like, you know, remotely editing with one headphone on, one headphone off on a Windows computer with two with two people in two different states. Yeah. I mean, I, I've done a shoot where uh, during COVID where it was, I was shooting uh, with one of the Teradex sending an image to the director who was in California and she was in my ear uh, headphones wise giving me direction uh, of obviously what she's seeing, but there was like a 30 second lag, but I was shooting a kid who was my little cousin. So like she's watching, giving me direction while I'm shooting while I'm giving the kid direction, you know, like outside, uh, it was wild. I mean, and whatever, you know, I had a good time. It was fun, but that was, you know, it's like, it's a thing, you know, it's a very interesting way to work. Uh, Hmm. so yeah, the edit, the, the, the post editing stuff is like, that makes me a little nervous. Yeah. So a couple, couple questions here. I think we should try to wrap it up a little bit, but, um, I was watching, I was preparing for this. I know that's shocking to you, but I was watching a variety interview where um, the violinist, Amira Wang, um, was talking about meeting Bill and rehearsing for the first time. And she, she really talked about how, very emotionally about how his energy and uh, his performance in that rehearsal just brought her to tears the first time she'd met him. And I, that struck me as very interesting um for, for you personally what did you guys what surprised you about working with bill what perceptions did you have going into it and and how were they changed when you met when you met the guy 
I, I think for me, um, you know, he's, uh, there's like a lot, uh, there's a lot going on there, right? Because you got, you know, ar- arguably probably one of the most famous people or most recognizable mm-hmm. people um, in the world. Um, super talented. And then there's like a little bit, there's like this childhood nostalgia going on. And um, then you hear, you know, then there's like this whole other thing where it's like these urban legends and, and, you know, so it's like going into it. It's like how much of that is just like made up nonsense and how, how much of that is like actually true what's he gonna be like and by the end of it in an odd way it was like i got to see the human side of him but also it was like that shit is all true (laughs) Hmm. like it like a lot a lot of those things that you that you like hear about him um like he just invited us out to a concert when I was editing with him. He was like, uh, what do you guys want to eat for dinner? He went down and, and got it and brought it back up. And um, he just got like this real, I don't know if you want to call it like emotional intelligence or he, he just is like very, he was a lot more aware, I think, of me and concerned with how I was doing um, then I would have thought that he would have been, hmm. if that makes any sense. Like at one point in time, we, we had been working for a while and I was, I was like pretty toasted from just like, you know, brain fried, like, uh, like, I don't know if I can keep going, but like at the same time, it's like, well, Bill's here. Like, I'm gonna, I'm not going to say anything until they're ready to call quits i'll edit until my fingers fall off and um he uh he said to andrew he was like uh he's like hey he's like uh andrew you know what he's like uh i'm getting a little tired he's like uh i I don't know if i'm gonna be able to edit too much longer and then he turns over and looks at me and winks and i was like you (laughs) you beautiful son of a bitch <laughs> you know like he just he must have just like looked over and he was like this poor kid is about to collapse and he and you know he's not going to say anything because of who i am so I, i'm gonna i'm gonna jump on this one for him and That's so cool. for me i was like you're the, you're the man you know <laughs> yeah i mean like? i i think that uh, from my time with Bill, he is he is very open to uh, open and aware to ad- not advice, but just like input and feedback. You know, he does not forget. You know, he is very he's very hyper aware of people around him. I mean, look, his bullshit meter is like is on pro level, obviously. So hmm. like, if you're, if you're like at, trying to act a certain way around him, he's going to call bullshit on it, bullshit on it immediately. Uh, I'm not saying that from experience with Timmy and him, obviously, like we got along really well, but like just in general, he's very aware of like how people are around him. 
um, when we were in the color grade, um, you know, I, I first of all, I had I had thanked him and acknowledged the fact that he ended up wanting the cut to have some of those imperfections. And I ultimately told him that I actually appreciated that he went that route because obviously the knee jerk reaction is this needs to be perfect. Uh, and he went the complete opposite direction in the edit with John and, and Andrew with that. And I, and I told him that I, I did appreciate that he did do that. And he kind of kept that stuff in there and felt more organic. Uh, and I also told him, I was like, you know, Mr. Murray, like your, your title card in the beginning is like, is pretty epic, you know? Uh, and he kind of just like took that in. And then I think he then had like a side conversation with Andrew afterwards, like, Hey, you know, you know like he was kind of like a little worried that like the other artists the other musicians title mm. cards weren't as epic <laughs> he literally said that he's like you know mike was saying like mine was pretty epic and then andrew's like well yours is you're in the crowd and handing out roses like you know um and i think that that was an example for me that really showed that he is you know he cares about the people around him you know uh obviously he's like protective of his circle and for good reason i mean you know the man is imagine you go somewhere and like people are like pestering like you know i i can't even imagine how it is to to live like that so um so he's very emotionally aware you know very nice soft-spoken dude and and he is hilarious in very subtle ways, you know, like very little, just little throwaway lines that are just like, holy shit, that is hilarious, you know? Um, so, but again, I came into this as, okay, I need to treat everyone, whether it's Bill Murray or the PA or the camera op or my director the same way. As a professional, I'm here for a reason, you know? I'm not here to like fanboy um, and just get the job done. And, mm -hmm. uh, that's why the, the Athens show went super fast and it was like adrenaline filled. And, uh, by the time I was, the show was done, uh, I did, I, I was backstage and I, I went up to Mr. Murray and I told him, thank you very much. I thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. And he's like, Oh great. I hope you liked it. I'm like, yes, <laughs> you know, I, I loved it. You know, it was amazing. Um, and I, I do get pretty emotional when I shoot live music. I don't know what it is. Uh, you know, I used to be a musician when I was very, very young. So I have like a part of my brain that I get very connected to music, but even more so when I'm shooting it. So there was a point in time where I was shooting the show and I had a frame up on Bill and I'm like, okay, I'm not only like in Greece shooting Bill Murray and this performance at the Acropolis, but like the music is beautiful. I'm I'm like the youngest guy in the camera department, and I'm running the department. Like, how did the, I don't know how this happened, but it's happening. Enjoy it. Uh, and it was very emotional in the best in the best of ways. Um, That's cool. And that was that was while we were shooting it. Now, you know, the whole con experience is like a whole other animal that just kind of feels like a a dream. But um, yeah, I mean, th this has been a, a blessing for, for all of us in many ways. So I'm very thankful. Okay. Um, lightning round. Uh, John, we'll start with you. What, uh, what did this project teach you? And uh, what would you improve next time if you could change something? Whew. I think um, 
I think the thing that it taught me the most um, was a little bit about letting letting go of control, letting go of control a bit, and um, some of it I probably you know I, I already knew it to a degree, but I think it was like um, the emotion. It was a very good reminder that the emotional aspect of it is always going to trump um, like a beautiful shot. Hmm. Um, and so it, it was like a good good reminder of that. And I got a, a, a very good master class in um, timing and pacing um, from Bill, just you know working with him. Nice. And what would you change? I would have made the font um, that my name was in the credits bigger. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> no, uh, no, no, no. That can't. That can't be it. That can't be it. Um, I let's see. What what would I change? God, I don't know. Because this this one was like pretty pretty unique, and and a lot of it was sort of out of out of my hands in a way and it was like a very collaborative um approach to everything um i'm sure there's things that i that i could have improved but um honestly i can't i can't think of anything off the top of my head not because i'm so like great at editing it was just such a great experience overall mm. i don't i don't at least the experience overall like i wouldn't change anything maybe maybe um remembered it better or something i don't know mike um what did you learn what would you change in a perfect world yeah um what i learned was i think uh the importance of clarity uh in terms of uh the prep uh side of it because the feedback that i had gotten from my operators on the day when they showed up i think uh, the vibes I got from them and their response was like they they did appreciate that I had sent them something versus you know having a quick pep talk before we start prepping all the gear of like okay I want you to do this and that uh, so I do think that that kind of prep and clarity and what Andrew and I wanted was a just another uh, more proof of how important it is to prep even if you don't have much time or 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 barely any sort of resources available or, or room to know like what you're dealing with. So I mm. think that that showed me a lot about just the importance of clarity in whatever the vision is, whether it's a huge vision or a small vision, just some sort of clarity and reassurance to the team that the, you know, the, the people that are leading the charge, like know what they want. So I think that that was the biggest lesson. Um, if there was something I could change, um, I if I can like add another camera op, you know, on the side doing handheld, like some more of that like extra spice, I would have I would have loved that, you know, um, you know, like an extra handheld operator somewhere like on the other side of the stage, um, I I would add that. But you know, I'm I'm incredibly proud of the show. Um, I know Andrew is as well, of course. We're we're very proud of it. We're, we're all proud of it. Um, and yeah, in a perfect world, I, I'd probably add like, you know, another camera operator or two, uh, maybe in the 
in the crowd or, or, or definitely like another handheld. I, I'm, I love handheld and I, I love that I was able to roam around, you know, the stage. So, uh, yeah, it would have been cool to have uh, another one of those, but regardless, I wouldn't change this experience uh, at all. Cool. What, um, what's next for you both? What, uh, what projects are you working on or that you're excited to, to work on? Um, well, f- quick plug here, uh, February 2nd, Groundhog Day, mm-hmm. um, this, this uh, film that we're talking about here is going to be rolling out uh, nationwide in theaters. And um, I think we, we have... get it on the 6th in Australia, yeah. I believe. Yeah, okay. I think I think fifth and sixth, it's out uh, down there. There's a bunch of theater chains. Uh, I know in Melbourne, I think Palace Cinemas has a bunch of screenings. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, as any DP would say, this is meant to be seen on the big screen. So please, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Mr. That. Nolan. Yeah, <laughs> and the and the good thing is stateside. If you catch it on Groundhog Day, if you fall asleep during the film, when you wake up, it starts mm. over. <laughs> That's awesome. So there's that. We got that going for us. Um, no, all jokes aside, right now I'm I'm uh, knee deep in a uh, feature doc that's coming out at some point in time on a very very big um, uh, streamer. I don't know if I can say which one, but it's does it, does it it's start with an N and rhyme with Netflix? <laughs> No, it uh, rhymes with um, HBO. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if I have so, that one. <laughs> yeah, I think I, sh- I think I should be, I should be safe with that because I did the rhyming thing. Um, <laughs> uh, see, I'm an idiot. But you got look, you gotta have, you gotta have fun in life. But this thing is whatever. Nobody knows what it is. It's insane, dude. It is like. It doesn't. I don't know. It doesn't even seem like it's real, but it's it's a documentary. Hmm. It's it's real. So it's going to be a feature feature doc coming out on um, um, something that rhymes with Schmachbo uh, Max. <laughs> Amazing, Mike. What's on your radar? Uh, right now, I am uh, doing some prep on some narrative projects. Uh, one of them is for uh, potential uh, sh- like network uh, overseas in Europe, uh, in Portugal potentially. So uh, with a, uh, another director, a good friend of mine I've known for many years. So I'm doing some prep on that, and um, and uh, you know I'm I'm curious to see you know. Look, I never planned on shooting concert films. You know, that wasn't like something I was aspiring to. So, uh, you know, I'm very curious what, you know, the success of this film, what kind of doors that opens. Because I, I mean, I love music and I love shooting live music. So I'm, I, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing like, okay, well, you know, maybe I should just run with this and see what happens uh, with with something like this under my belt. You know, I would I would love to shoot uh some more of these so uh i'm curious to see once this comes out you know what kind of response that gets but right now it's really just you know doing some prep on some narrative projects and um and just seeing what happens i'm kind of free flow state right now so mike amazing yeah i don't i don't know if you if you're at liberty to say the name of the director that you're working with but does it by any chance rhyme with sartan more scazy (laughs) 
<laughs> no, but that would oh. be amazing. That would be amazing. You know, uh, it's just a matter of time. As long as he stays alive long enough, you know, I'm sure I'll get there. Yeah. You know, just check, just checking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you both for for making the time. I uh, really enjoyed the film, and I uh, appreciate you being so candid about um, about the process you went through to make it. Of course, man. Thanks for having us, bro. Appreciate it. Yeah, great talking with you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Art of the Frame podcast. If you enjoyed this discussion, please share it with a friend. Subscribe with your favorite podcast app to get access to over 140 previous episodes featuring top editors, directors, and cinematographers candidly sharing their deep experience in production and post-production. You'll find a wealth of knowledge on this podcast feed and at ProVideoCoalition.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your support.